Some people become expats by choice, others by necessity. Some, however, are expats by profession. Most of these are called diplomats and Luxembourg is full of them. My name is Elias Pengo Bietens and this is LuxVentures, your podcasting guide to navigating life in the Grand Duchy. In this podcast, I trick unsuspecting expats into sharing their experience with Lützeburg, what to expect, how to adapt, when to give up and when to hold on. At the very least, I try to provide some emotional comfort. Austrian ambassador Gregor Schustersic was until recently a staple in Luxembourgish diplomatic and media circles. His musings on Twitter were especially witty. Then Brexit happened. And suddenly ambassador Schustersic was appointed head of the Austrian delegation in the Brexit working group. Needless to say, things got real busy real quick. As fate would have it, the ambassador left Luxembourg before Lux Ventures got around to asking for an interview. But we caught up with him in Brussels in his new post as deputy head of Austrian permanent representation to the EU. It was for the best. From a little distance, both chronological and physical, we talked about how Luxembourgers view themselves, how they see foreigners and which part of the country you should definitely visit, even if it's somewhat off the beaten track. Ambassador Schustersic, uh, you've been on the Lux Ventures podcast trailer for a while now. Uh, we never sort of got to... to contact you. Now we did, but uh, you've already uh, moved from Luxembourg uh, to Brussels, where we're recording this interview. Uh, but still, while in Luxembourg, you somehow stood out um, in a good way. But still, is that a good thing for a diplomat to stand out in a host country? I think times uh, have moved on and the idea that a diplomat should just uh, stay in the background and facil facilitate uh, political relations is over. Uh, we have the concept of public diplomacy, uh, so we should be also visible in the country that we are living in. Uh, we should be active, we should really try to get our societies together. So I think, um, in my opinion, it's a good thing to be recognized. Um, and yet Luxembourg is, from my perspective, a uh, well, every country is specific, but Luxembourg is very pe peculiar in their own ways. The country and the people there have their own habits, uh, their own uh, customs. Um, I gather you move around relatively a lot compared to other people. Um, was it difficult for you when you arrived in Luxembourg to um, get a handle of things? Uh, every country has its own specificities. Uh, that is clear. Uh, and every country has its specialities. And this is the beauty of, of my job, uh, to arrive in a country and to uh, delve into a society and really try to swim uh, among the society. Uh, and here, Luxembourg is, is an easy country and a complicated country uh, in both ways. Uh, it's not one of the biggest countries, but still you have incredible regional peculiarities. Uh, the Ösling is completely different uh, to the Mosul region and the south. And so... So in this small country, you have very distinct region. This is really interesting. And then you have also a society that is very open uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, uh, not so open. But then you have, of course, a large group of foreigners in Luxembourg. This makes it a very special uh, society and also 
gives you some kind of um, challenge as a diplomat to try to to reach out into all segments of society. Um, how did you navigate this? Um, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that as a diplomat you have um, special resources at your disposal. Um, moving into a country is probably easier on a day-to-day -day basis, but uh, when you moved to Luxembourg, uh, what did that entail for you personally? And the, the first thing, of course, is to understand the society that you're living in. And in that, um, there are a lot of expats in Luxembourg, but the expats are not so difficult because they're in the same situation. So the, the, the much more interesting thing is uh, to understand the Luxembourg society, the Luxembourgers uh, themselves. And there it is uh, rather easy for us uh, language-wise. Yeah? So all the media are in German, they learn German in schools, so the German is part of, of, of their culture. Uh, and it's close to the Luxembourgish language. So here you have an easy uh, connection with the Luxembourgers. And through that, uh, I think it, 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 it was easier to get to know the people and to understand what is important to them and, and what, how the society uh, functions. Um, you mentioned that on one hand, uh, Luxembourg is a very open society. And if I understood you correctly, very traditional in, in, in another sense. Um, You and I come from broadly the same region of Europe and tradition, our respective tradition, traditions is very important to our sense of identity. Um, what are the Luxembourgish traditions that have stuck with you the most, perhaps? Uh, the Luxembourgers are, are very um, centered to where they come from. Uh, and I have seldom seen uh, people that uh, still are so have such a strong bond to to the village or the small town they come from and moving around and it's not an easy thing for them this is really interesting so people tend to build houses next to the houses of their parents and these kind of things and this struck me uh, when I, uh, I came to Luxembourg and of course also the very important insistence also on, on their own language, the Luxembourgish language, which is not, again, not one of the most spoken languages uh, in Europe, but is still very important to them also as a mean of, of, of identity. And, and this is very interesting because this is also something where you need to get into it to, to, to understand uh, them better. And in that way, they're very traditional that they want to keep uh, that up. Uh, and on the other hand, they're very open, you know, with their foreign languages and, 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 and they're also in their way of um, welcoming expats. This is not so easy in other societies, especially when you talk about these high numbers uh, of expats. Uh, and in that sense, they are, they are quite open. Um, you will correct me if I'm wrong or, or you have another point of view, but um, in my five years in Luxembourg, I... Had, have this feeling that there is a slight, in, slightly invisible but yet very present um, borderline between expats and Luxembourgers. That they, not that they don't like to, but they are very um, conservative in forging relations with, with, with expats. Is that your um, uh, uh, impression as well? Uh, I think not necessarily from the side of Luxembourgers. This is more from the side of the expats, my impression. Uh, now, many expats come to Luxembourg and think it's fine to speak French. Uh, but when you only speak French, you will get only 
to one third of the Luxembourg society because there are three official languages. And you don't get a clue about media because the media are all in German. And you don't get a clue about the society because they communicate in Luxembourgish, you know, parliamentary debates and these kind of things. And I have never seen a Luxembourger uh, not willing to become friends with uh, an expat who's willing to speak at least two of the languages of the country and ideally even or one of those being Luxembourgish. So I think this uh, small divide, which is in many societies where you have local population and experts, is more, I think, uh, a thing for, for the foreigners to really engage with the peculiar language situation of the country and not just think I speak French, that's fine. That's not fine. It's not enough. You're probably right. There is uh, this enormous expat bubble where everything is important for the aspect, aspect expats, including the media from their, their country of origin. Um, I was meaning to ask you that, is there a meaningful difference between an expat and a diplomat in terms of how you approach things or, or, or the mentality of it, if you will? Uh, there, there's a big difference between an expat uh, and a diplomat because an expat can be for a few years or an expat can be for life. A diplomat is always for a few years. And an expat can live his daily life without necessarily engaging with the local population, if it's possible. So you come as an expat uh, to Luxembourg, you work in, in, in one of those ugly buildings uh, on Kirchberg, uh, and you go home to wherever you live, and you have your friends from the, the bank or so that work with you in Luxembourg. And you could do that for 20 years and not even talking to a Luxembourger uh, as such. And that's... In, in, a, in a way possible. As a diplomat, you come for four years and it is your task to have very good relation to the Luxembourgish society. So you need to interact, you need to engage with the Luxembourgers themselves. When you don't do that, then you're a horrible diplomat. Um, and was it easy for you? I mean, you said language-wise, languages are similar, Luxembourgish and German. Um, you obviously have training, but um, was this Luxembourgish society um, more difficult or easier to immerse into compared to other European societies? I think it was, uh, for me, it was fairly easy somehow. Uh, and there are many reasons for that. Uh, one is, of course, the language is, is a big issue, I think. The other thing is that uh, Luxembourgers have a very good perception of Austria. Now, this comes from history, the 18th century, Maria Theresia and so on, uh, where the time where they were part of the Habsburg Empire, they still regard as a golden age. So this set already a, a, a very positive uh, tone. And it continues... Uh, Today, where a lot of Luxembourgers uh, go to university in Austria, we have more than 1,000 Luxembourgish students uh, studying in Austria because they have received equal treatment in Austria already in the 60s. So they are treated like Austrians at Austrian universities. Even when we have some kind of uh, access-controlled universities, they are treated like Austrians. Uh, and then, of course, they love uh, our landscape, they love going seeing in Austria. So, in that respect, uh, there was a positive attitude towards Austria from the very beginning. And then, uh, I think what they really sensed is that uh, when you come as a diplomat there, 
and you're really interested in the society and really try to understand it, you try to, um, to, to, to mix with them and to visit them and to visit the different parts of the country. I regularly uh, went to parliament and listened to parliamentary debates because this is very important for me. And I think people realized that I really like the country, I really like them, I really wanted to engage with them. I think this is, you know, people react positively normally to that. Um, I was going to, to ask you about the Luxembourgish, well, not necessarily political landscape, but uh, one of the interviewees on this podcast once said that Luxembourg is a um, consensual democracy, mm -hmm. not as some other countries like Slovenia, for example, which is more of a confrontational democracy. Does Luxembourgish political class have a broadly the same idea of their national interest, what they want to do, where do they want to take their country, regardless of where they place themselves on the spectrum. Uh, this is my impression, and when you see parliamentary debates, they are mostly very consensual. Of course, you, you can't have all the same opinion, and they, they, this is democracy that you have different political parties. That, but in the end, they try to, to have overarching uh, political compromises in things that are very important. And a very distant example for me was the new nationality law, Uh, where the government would have the majority, but they said this is such an important thing also for our national identity, who becomes Luxembourger and who doesn't, that they try to find a compromise with the biggest opposition party. And this is a very um, impressive way of, 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 of dealing with things. And, you know, if the UK had such a system, uh, Brexit would be a lot easier for them to handle. Um, so I think this is very good. But of course democracy lives with different alternatives and and you can see now I think in the last months or years that this consensual democracy is a bit under pressure and, and I think the um, the uh, political life is, is is more controversial which is, I think in a democracy a, a normal thing yeah. should be able to withstand it, to withstand it without a problem well, You mentioned Brexit, obviously, and one of the hats you were wearing in Luxembourg was a Brexit one. Um, you were, uh, you'll correct my phrasing, but uh, Austrian Sherpa for Brexit, is that correct? Uh, it, it's called Brexit Delegate. I'm sorry. Yes, that's, sorry. that's the wording. And yeah, so I did that um, for the last uh, two and a half years, and this... Uh, entailed a lot of commuting between Brussels and Luxembourg, which was on the one hand very interesting because the, the whole Brexit process is incredibly fascinating, albeit uh, sad. Um, but of course, it, it somehow reduced my ability also to be very active in Luxembourg. And this is something that I regretted, to be honest. We won't dwell on Brexit because we know where the situ situation is, but I was always wondering, and you're the first person in this position that I talked to, um, we always heard about the Barnier Group and Task Force 50, that they, um, they, they held a negotiation, they sort of developed their positions and cleared it with the Council, but at which point did the national delegations come into play? when forming these positions, or you were just relaying messages from um, capitals to Brussels and vice versa? No, we were giving mandates to Barnier for his negotiations. So they ha had a topic on the table and they would just have a very open discussion with us to see uh, where most member states stand. And then on the basis of that discussion, they would formulate a position and then we would discuss about the position. 
uh, and then they went into the negotiations and then they reported to us how the negotiations went and if they needed a different mandate again we discussed it so we somehow set uh, the direction in which the commission uh, could negotiate uh, without naming names but i've I've impression have an impression that there were member states that were more interested in the Brexit process than maybe some other members who were just sort of happy to be on the sidelines, or is this just an out wrong outsider's impression? I mean, of course, there are member states that are much more affected by Brexit, and they, of course, had a different uh, uh, standing in, in some respects. So uh, that was quite natural. But many things uh, we had very common positions. So if the UK does pay money or does not pay money into the budget, this concerns us all. Everybody has citizens of his own in the UK and everybody has UK citizens in his own country to a varying degree, but still. So in many cases, uh, everybody was uh, affected. But honestly, uh, when it comes to fisheries, uh, we didn't uh, discuss much uh, from the Austrian perspective, for example. Coming back to Luxembourg, uh, one of the things that struck me as a person from quote-unquote the new member state although it's been what 15 years um, how ingrained and embedded the European idea is in the in well the, the concept of being Luxembourgish and how differently the European Union is perceived in Western Europe as opposed to Central or maybe in Eastern South South Southeastern Europe is there a difference between how uh, Luxembourgers perceive it, how Austrians perceive it, their the, the relationship towards the European Union, I mean? Uh, there is no prosperous Luxembourg without the single market. That is very clear. Uh, they need the open borders, uh, you know, they need the workforce from Belgium and France. Uh, so the whole economic system is based on European integration and on the single market. Uh, which is, as a small country, natural. Uh, other countries, uh, which are bigger, they have more domestic uh, economy going on or domestic trade. So it's very natural that even for economic reasons uh, that um, that they would uh, adhere to European integration. And then I think it's also for them uh, a clear uh, interpretation of, of their international political status as a smaller country. Uh, you're better off in a bigger group of varying countries than being completely on your own between two large neighboring countries. So also from that point of view, from a geopolitical point of view, it makes really sense for Luxembourg uh, to be a strong supporter of, of European integration. And we can see that how successful Luxembourg is. As I said, it's not the biggest country, but the influence that Luxembourg Uh, can have or that does have in, in, in Brussels is enormous. Well, Austria is a member from, what, 1995? Mm -hmm. And uh, compared to Luxembourg, has the European idea, if you will, in Austria caught on just as much or is it still evolving? Uh, not as much as Luxembourg. Because Luxembourg is always among the, the, the number one countries when it comes to European identity. But um, Austria also does have a very stable... Um, pro-European position, I would say. Uh, when we had a referendum in '94 about joining the EU, it was about 66% that uh, voted for the EU, and this hasn't changed much, I must mm -hmm. say. So we, we are still you know, around 60-70% uh, pro-EU 
sentiment, which is quite okay. Of course, uh, uh, we complain a lot, but that's this very Austrian. Uh, this is very normal that we always complain about everything. Um, but, you know, Tyrolians complain about Vienna. Uh, East Tyrolians uh, complain about Innsbruck. And, I don't know, uh, so, you know, everybody complains about the higher level. So, that's, that's, I wouldn't uh, see that as, as, a, as a big problem. But of course, Luxembourg is here and an exceptional case. Um, as a Luxembourg veteran, if you will, um, what are the three pieces of advice that you would give to someone who is about to move to Luxembourg? I mean, what should they you know, immediately take care of or w watch out for? What is the thing that would um, strike them as most thought and they should prepare themselves for? Uh, the first is never live uh, somewhere where you need the car because public transport is still very bad and so and road transport is is, is not a good thing in Luxembourg. Um, the second thing is don't rely exclusively on French. This is a very wrong signal to think that Luxembourg is somehow a French-speaking country because it's not. It, it's much uh, more diverse. And the other thing is, you m might think it's a small country, but it's really worth exploring this different region because they really have very distinct realities and, and distinct features. And it's really worth exploring the various parts of the country. Now that you've left Luxembourg, maybe you can tell me what's your favorite part of the country? Uh, I love the Ösling. This is very raw, uh, and you can see also how poor the country was uh, 200 years ago because there's not much agriculture going on, but it's, it's simply beautiful. And the Luxembourg Ardennes, uh, I really love it. Ambassador Schustasic, thank you so much for taking the time for Lux Ventures and all the best. Thank you very much. So, this is it. Thanks for tuning in or downloading as it were, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Lux Ventures. If you can, please leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your preferred podcast client and or directories are. Don't forget to like our Facebook page and feel free to ping me on Twitter with any comments and suggestions you might have. Lux Ventures will be back next month. Mm -hmm.